Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio, and our sponsors, the Hewlett Foundation and the Bechtel Foundation. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, as you know, this week, President-elect Biden began naming members of his cabinet. The prospect of a Biden presidency is now a reality. He uh, hasn't named his Secretary of Education yet, but he did nominate Alejandro Mayorkas to be his Secretary of Homeland Security. Ali Mayorkas, as he called himself, was Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security during the Obama administration, and he'll be responsible for shaping immigration policies which are certain to be diametrically opposite to those of the Trump administration. He was a principal architect of the Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals program, the DACA program, which gives temporary relief from deportation to young people who came to this country as minors with parents who are undocumented. Biden has already said he would reinstate the program on his first day in office, which promises to be a very busy day. (laughs) That's true. I wanted to talk about Mayorkas because what he does will affect millions of people in California, including many children, more immigrant kids in California than any other state. And I should mention that Mayorkas will bring a deep understanding of California to the job. He grew up in Beverly Hills, graduated from UC Berkeley, and worked in California for years before going to Washington. So, Lewis, can you share any other insights that you've learned about him? Well, John, in a speech he gave four years ago at a conference organized by the Migration Policy Institute, he gave a good picture of what he cares about, and he really does care about kids. His own family came to Miami in 1960 as refugees from Cuba when Mayorkas was an infant, and he is a passionate believer in the United States as a home for refugees. In the speech he gave in 2016, it was just a few months before the end of the Obama administration, he talked about a seminal experience he had when he visited a Somali refugee camp on the Kenya-Somali border. Let's hear his description of that visit. I went with colleagues to Nairobi to view our refugee operation there. And from Nairobi, we took a small plane uh, to the Kenyan-Somali border and visited the refugee camp of Dadaab. Dadaab had originally been developed for the placement of about 90,000 Somali refugees on their way uh, to resettlement in third countries. In 2010, when I visited, there were just over 300,000 people. And I would describe them as poor, except for the fact that poverty suggests that individuals have something, but just not enough uh, to make it through. And these individuals had absolutely nothing. I have never seen anything uh, like it. They lived, they dwelled, they slept on the sand, and some of them had uh, plastic bags hoisted on sticks as their only cover, and the others who didn't have those plastic bags uh, had nothing. And I remember sitting in on an interview of a refugee family conducted by one of our refugee affairs officers. And the family consisted of a, a husband and wife, a father and a mother, and their four children, and a very close-knit family. And the eldest of the children Uh, was a young uh, 17-year-old 
a woman, and our refugee affairs officer asked her where she had been born, and I thought she was going to say uh, Somalia. The 17-year-old woman answered, here. I was, I, was, I was born here. And she had lived her entire life, 17 years, in this camp where poverty would actually be an exaggeration. And I came back from that trip, and I had a very difficult time identifying myself as a refugee, political or otherwise, understanding the depth of despair and loss that others who seek the benefits of our refugee system have suffered. That was Ali Mayorkas, who President-elect Biden has named to be his Secretary of Homeland Security. Of course, he has to go through Senate confirmation hearings, but he has been confirmed by the Senate, I think, two or three times for several other positions. So uh, hopefully politics and anti-immigration politics won't deep six his confirmation. You know, that anecdote, Lewis, of the deprivation, unbelievable poverty saw in Somalia is a good reminder of how much we have to appreciate in this country, and particularly at this time of year. You know, for many of us, COVID has put the kibosh on Thanksgiving. You know, we won't be traveling to relatives and friends, and they won't be coming to us. Our own family feast will be smaller, less festive, and maybe less argumentative, too. <laughs> okay, that may be a good thing, John. It may be. But you know, while missing the loss of the tradition and the, the smiles of those we hold dear, you know, we have a lot to be grateful for. And being mindful of that and expressing gratitude to those who support us and the appreciation for what we have around us helps us get through tough times that you know, a lot of people are facing these days. And that goes for students, too. And an increasing number of schools are incorporating exercises in gratitude to help students build resilience, create a positive school culture. And you know, there's even an app, givethanks.org, created by a former math teacher at Leadership Public High School, a charter school in Hayward, where schools are using the app to help students express their gratitude. One teacher who has been focusing on gratitude in school for several years is Brandy Quintero. She is English department chair at Lindsay High School. Lindsay is located near Visalia. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So what is the value of expressing gratitude to your students? I do teach high school, but I think it can apply to whether you're 50 or you're five, um, that learning to navigate the world is challenging. We are constantly finding ourselves in new experiences and new situations. And so when I think about students in particular, they have to get up in the morning, they have to leave their house, and, and that can be stressful. Um, as an adult, if, if you've ever been in charge of getting kids out the door on time, um, sometimes we send them on their way and it's not in the best of mood. We were just trying to get them out the door. We didn't want them to be late. And so they can arrive at school and they're already stressed out by the way their morning started. And then now they have to arrive at school and learn new material, which is stressful. Understand the expectations of all the different adults that they're gonna encounter on their campus, which is stressful, and then deal with their peers' expectations of them. And so when you combine all of those different levels of stress, for different students, that's a recipe for an explosion to take place. And so then when they walk in our room, if we can find some way in that period or in that day to help, in, at the beginning, I would say, to express gratitude, um, 
we are potentially releasing some of that pressure that they are experiencing in life and at that moment. And we help them recognize that those situations aren't going away, but by focusing on something positive, we release some of that stress or anxiety and we can start to handle them in a productive way. Is gratitude the same as thanks? I I think it has the potential to be that, but when I think of gratitude, I, I really think of it as it's a choice to be thankful for what we have, right? I can say thank you just kind of automatically, hey, you opened the door for me, thank you. But when I'm, I feel like when I'm expressing gratitude, I'm really taking a look at what I have, what I have access to, and I'm going a little bit deeper and saying my life might not be perfect right now, but I am extremely grateful for these things that I have going on. So Brandy, how do you formalize gratitude in your classroom? I found this program when I was trying to identify ways to build the social emotional learning aspects of my students. And in that process, I was reading a lot of studies about how expressing gratitude affects us emotionally, psychologically, and physically. And I thought, if I can figure out a way to make this a a regular part of my classroom experience, then my students are going to be more successful throughout just not my class, but the whole day. In a typical classroom, a teacher will have them turn to a partner, share your response, um, get up and find a new partner and share your response. And so after those share outs, I would have the students come back to their desk and give thanks allows them to type a response to any student in the room. And only the other student and myself can see it. And then the other student, when they receive it, the only thing they can do is put a little heart. So it doesn't become a Everybody's looking at you. You don't have to worry about what other people are thinking of you. So it kind of takes away some of those pressures from the students. Brandy asked some of her students to record themselves with their notes of gratitude that they shared with classmates. Let's hear those messages written by two of them, Litsy and Diego. Thank you for being a caring friend, for being my shoulder to lean on, and for always being available for me when I needed to talk about an assignment or a problem when I was stressed and when I was feeling down. Thank you for being there for me in my darkest days and thank you for being such a good friend and hopefully one day I could be there for you just like you were there for me. So what difference has it made to your students and to the class culture and is it particularly useful for certain students, maybe shy students or maybe boys who don't express their thoughts openly? When they know that people are thankful that they are showing up to this room, they walk in with a more positive attitude It also creates trust among the learners. You asked about a specific group of students, the shy students. I particularly, he's a senior this year. He'll be graduating. And he came to me at the end of his sophomore year. And he he just stood there because he was shy. And I said, hey, can I help you? And he said, I just want to let you know that I really like how we say thank you in this class. And I said, oh, okay. And he made a comment that just, I mean, he's a senior. So it stuck with me for two, three years. I didn't know people in the class actually saw me. And so just having them send thank you to their partners, it made it real for everyone in the class that people see me, that I'm important in this class. And for the boys in the class, I loved reading their notes because if I would have told them to go tell another boy thank you like that, it probably wouldn't have happened because they would have ended up kind of joking around and not taking it seriously. But when they wrote it out, it became something that was very formal for them. And 
it let the other boy know that, hey, I really appreciate you sharing with me. And again, I'm not saying I don't have discipline issues, but I did see a huge decrease in the number, I would say, of like outburst or just crazy behavior that you're trying to figure out where did that come from. And I, I think it has a lot to do with this, this process of giving thanks, of, of being grateful for each other. Speaking of boys expressing gratitude for each other, let's hear from Leo, another of Brandy's students. Hey, Alfred. Thanks for taking me into your group of friends. When I first met you in our class, I didn't know anyone. I'm glad I was able to have a chance to get to know you. To say the least, I was surprised. You don't seem to the type of person to be expressive with their feelings or their points. However, when prompted, you do it so effectively and effortlessly. It is inspiring. To keep it short, keep being you, because you are special. Students are going through a lot of stress in their life because of the pandemic, and I guess it would be easy for students to look really negatively at the way things are going. So has the pandemic changed the way that they are expressing gratitude or maybe even understanding that perhaps there are things to be grateful for at this time? Our district is still remote learning, and most of my students are still remote learning. And so I have changed the, the way that I'm having learners give thanks. And so some of the reflections are, what are two things that have gone well for you this school year, right? Because there's a lot of things not going well with remote learning, but are there two things that are going well for you? Um, you know, and they were able to focus on the things that are going good. Um, and so some of them have actually said, well, maybe remote learning isn't that bad. We still like to be back in school, but maybe it's not that bad. And so you've been in, you've not left, you've not gone on vacations that you were going to go on. What do you appreciate about your small town? And so I have focused their reflections a little bit differently. I tell them your teachers are learning something new. And if there's a way that they're doing things for you right now that is helping you learn in this crazy time period, um, let them know. And so they've done that. One reflection, um, I said, if you could tell your mom or dad thank you for something that they've done in the last six months that you've been spending a lot of more time with them. What would you tell them? And then of course I tell them now go and try to tell them. Um, but for some students, we're not quite there yet for them feeling comfortable depending on uh, home dynamics, but they do have that reflection now in the program that they can go back to and reflect on. And the give thanks app allows us to categorize or students to categorize their give thanks with a little hashtag. And I have seen the number of students hashtagging their thanks for kindness and positivity has increased as opposed to previous years where friendship and understanding and help might have been the top ones. Right now, kindness and positivity are the highest regardless of the grade level or the class type. Aside from sharing grateful messages, the app also allows students to reflect on the process of expressing gratitude. So before we go, let's hear one of those reflections from a student named Nikki Shiva. Her teacher is Donovan Hall at the Impact Academy of Arts and Technology in Hayward. He uses the app with his students. Sharing appreciation makes me feel happy, not just at the moment, but sometimes the whole week. And when I press send or finish writing a note, a feeling of this genuine gratitude enters into my thoughts. You never really know what people are going through, whether dealing with something mentally or physically, but just a simple note that will take you a couple minutes can really brighten someone's day immensely. We've been speaking with Brandy Quintero, who is the English department chair at Lindsay High School. Hope you have a good Thanksgiving. Thank you.
Well, Lewis, I'm wishing you a happy Thanksgiving and a long weekend. We've all been working really hard the last several months. Same to you, John. And I'm just uh, really grateful thinking about that family in Somalia that Ali Mallorcas talked about early in our podcast and certainly hoping that that family is no longer living in those abject conditions. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. We would be really grateful if you would consider making a contribution to Ed Source for our annual news match campaign, which is going on right now. Anything you give to us is worth three times to Ed Source. Please go to our website, look for the donate button, little red heart at the top right hand corner. We would be so appreciative. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>